What up? What it do? What it be? Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Wherever you are, wherever you may be in this world, thank you all for lending your ears and listening to the Mad Nucleus Podcast. And I'm your host, Justin Felton, for those that do know and don't know. Again, I'm available on Spotify, Anchor, which is now called Spotify for Podcasters, Google, Apple, and several other platforms. Again, thank you all for listening and tuning in. Okay, I don't think I need to explain what this is about. You see it in the title. But where do I start to talk about this subject? <laughs> Man, it's, I think it's more to cover than I think. Because my mind is everywhere with this subject. I mean, it's all over the place. But how should I start this off? Should I give you a foreword, an epilogue, monologue, whatever you want to call it? I don't know where to start with this. But let's start with uh, the news last week that there was a documentary being produced about the well-known event in Atlanta called Freaknik. And immediately, it caused an uproar, controversy. You know, it was a subject of memes and, and, and jokes on the internet, on, on social media. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that is uh, that are afraid, they're worried, everything. And this is crazy. But there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is they are not covering Freaknik as a whole throughout the years. They're covering Freaknik from one particular year. That year being is 1994. Yes, so that is the good news. The bad news is there still was people in it that were there in 1994 cutting up, doing all types of things, being wild. Women were twerking, you know, showing their breasts, showing their, you know, their backsides and, you know, their genitalia and stuff. And then there was men doing crazy stuff. You know, they were flashing, mooning and stuff like that. So, you know. And they know they were on camera because they did it for the camera. So, you know, if you're on camera, you knew you was there, you know, chances are they'll show you. But here's where it's really going to get crazy is that people are going to be looking to sue. They already are gearing up for some lawsuits. People are you know, talking to their lawyers. I mean, this is going to be a busy time for lawyers from now until whenever that documentary is released. I mean, every lawyer's office throughout the United States and parts of the world is going to be busy. It's going to be big business with this thing because I'm telling you, it, it, it's, it's going to be a powder keg. But the, that's the bad news. But the, here's where I think this whole thing can be avoided by not not releasing it would, would be good, but they're going to release it because remember, it's all about the dollar bill. The bottom line is it's about the dollar bill, the viewership and stuff like that. What they can do is block off every person's face, body parts and stuff like that to avoid these lawsuits. If they didn't sign a written confirmation or written consent, 
to do this, then they should, you know, just go ahead and block their faces. You know, to prevent further controversy, embarrassment, shame, the whole shebang. Because remember, you're dealing with young people, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, a little older, young people out having a good time, having fun, being ratchet, doing all this other stuff. You know, I ain't here to preach the gospel. And a lot of them, a lot of them now have kids. You know, some probably got grandkids now. Some got their moms watching this stuff and, you know, for years they've been preaching the gospel, don't do this and don't do that. And then when they see their mom or their their, 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 their dad up here cutting up on this documentary, they're going to look at you sideways and funny like, I ain't going to listen to you. You were doing far worse than me and this and that. So, you know, they're trying to avoid all of that. They're trying to keep their rapport and, you know, their structure intact within their household and with their, within their children and stuff. So this thing is big and I felt this is something that we had to talk about. Also, there's somebody close to me who was down in Atlanta, but not at that time. So this person is safe. And, but I'm pretty sure this person would have plenty to say and probably bear witness to the, you know, the years after that and stuff like that. So, you know, but there's people out there that really don't know what Freak Nick was really about. When they think of Freak Nick, they think of the, the stereotypical wild party that it was down in Atlanta. But let me give you a little history lesson on what Freak Nick was really about. So, you know, I'm here to tell you. Freak Nick, as it's spelled, F-R-E-A-K-N-I-K, was originally spelled with the C at the end is an annual spring break festival in Atlanta, Georgia. It is primarily attended by students from historically black colleges and universities. It began in 1983 as a small picnic in a public park near the Atlanta University Center, sponsored by the DC Metro Club for students who could not afford to return home for spring break. That is very commendable. They meant well with this, folks. It continued as an annual event held during the third weekend in April. The event increased in size and popularity in the 1990s, incorporating dance contests, concerts, parties, a basketball tournament, rap sessions, a film festival, and a job fair. The Atlanta Magazine called it Atlanta's most infamous street party. In 1999, actions by the police and elected officials caused celebration of Freak Nick to cease. A revamped version returned for one day on June 22nd, 2019 as Freaknik Atlanta 19, the festival, with a concert at Solaris Amphitheater at Lakewood. As of 2020, it is set to move forward as a three-day event centered around artists performing. Originally, Freaknik, the name of the event is a portmanteau of Picnic and Freak in accordance with the DC Metro Club's 1982-1983 theme, Return of the Freak. So there you go. Now, more of the history of it. Freaknik was conceived in March of 1982 on Spelman College in, in a DC Metro Club meeting headed by the then-president, Shula Goodson. It was sponsored by the club, 
which was composed of students from Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. The D.C. Metro Club intended for it to be challenged to the California Club for the largest end-of-the-school year party. Goodson invited, invented the name Freaknik, then spelled it Freaknik as a poor man to a freaky and uh, picnic. <laughs> How about that? A freaky picnic. Whew. The name Freaknik was inspired by La Freak by Chick, a popular song and dance in the early 1980s. First held in a John A. White Park in Atlanta in April of 1982, it was attended by at least 150 students featuring a potluck and dancing. The two DJs who performed at the park was J. DJ Flash Robinson from Harlem, New York, and Barney Bam Bam Putnam, who was from D.C. and attended Clark, uh, Clark College. Also present were Nab from New York State, Happy Hap, New Jersey, and Daryl Batista Miller, who were students of Morehouse College. In 1988, Spelman College president Johnetta B. Cole banned the D.C. Metro Club from involvement with uh, Freaknik for school liability reasons, with no charter student organization presiding over the event daryl batista miller was asked by the dc metro club to promote it daryl batista miller had worked as an independent national promoter and advanced for casual cow cedric walker don king uncle jam's army laker lakers michael cooper w-a-o-k road shows al Heyman presents and fantasy entertainment the main party promoter of the auc at the time made the event epic the event grew from 15,000 to over 300,000 in five years this event took place at the then 33 acre lakewood fairgrounds and had 60,000 people in attendance in 1993 Two non-HBCU promoters, Ron Green and Daya Nabawai, were the first to trademark the name, spelled officially as Freaknik, ending with a K. This was a hijacking of the name and was an insult to the dignity of the then-positive student event, altering the spirit and wholesome intent of the event. Commercialization. In 1993, Christina Copeland, a woman from Washington, D.C., and Ron Green produced the second event held at the Lakewood Fairgrounds. They invited the provocative artist Luke Campbell from 2 Live Crew fame, and the nature of the event took an undignified turn. Non-HBCU people began incorporating nudity and wild partying. Atlanta University Center Students promoted Freaknik as a non-provocative event to try to distinguish it as the once wholesome event it started as. Traffic became unimaginable during Freaknik as the event became popular to non-HBCU and non-college individuals in general. There were reports of violence, looting, and sexual assault. The event became open to the general public and people from the United States, Canada, the Caribbean, and Europe came to participate to participate in it. In 1990, it was intended by, it was attended by 300,000 people, many of whom did not plan to attend Freaknik compared to the previous year's 80,000. In 1991, up to 350,000 people attended. 
as Freaknik grew, the attitudes towards it of local homeowners and business owners became negative. It was challenged by Atlanta businesses, neighborhood associations, neighborhood associations, business owners, and community leaders. Under pressure, Atlanta Mayor, Atlanta Mayor Bill Campbell cracked down on Freaknik in 1996. A much larger police presence created tension and discomfort among the almost entirely black festival goers. Roadblocks were placed at freeway exits that led to Atlanta. After city leaders took these measures to curtail Freaknik's accessibility, its popularity faded. The event moved east from Atlanta to Memorial Drive in DeKalb County, Georgia. The Associated Press reported on May 13, 1998, that the Atlanta Committee for a Black College Spring Break should not long should no longer welcome Freaknik. We cannot support events that bring lewd activities, sexual assaults, violence against women, and public safety concerns. Fire trucks not being able to reach victims and ambulances not being able to reach hospitals in a timely manner, said committee chairman George Hawthorne. <clears throat> Wow, it's like, yeah, the wilder the party, the worse it, get, it gets. You know, you as a party goer ain't thinking about all that stuff, but to them, they're like, dude, this is getting out of control. I can understand where they're coming from with this, but as a party goer, you just there to have a good time, live to tell, to talk about it. By 1999, the celebration of the festival in DeKalb County died down due to heightened police security. In April 2010, Atlanta officials said there are no permitted Freaknik-related events inside the city limits. Atlanta Mayor Kasim Reed also said that he will be tough and even sue organizers of any Freaknik-related activities who violate city guidelines. After a 20-year hiatus, the last official Freaknik being in 1999, Atlanta-based promotion company after nine partners and Carlos Neal contracted Luther Campbell, Juvenile, Trina, and others to spearhead the return of a revamped Freaknik in June 2019. The summer of 2019 Freaknik featured hip-hop and R&B music artists performing at the Solaris Amphitheater. Other activities were available throughout Atlanta, such as a community service event. Many of the 20,000 plus attendees were adults who participated in the official Freakniks of the 80s and the 90s. In culture. I mean, that's crazy, right? But when you organize events like that in the cities, anywhere you go, that's what you can expect. It starts off with, you know, a couple hundred to a couple thousand to rising in six figures and, and if you're lucky in the millions problem is the bigger the crowd the bigger the problems remember I ain't here to preach the gospel folks but you know common sense tells you that automatically if you follow common sense alright in culture William Street Studios produced a one hour special spoof titled Freak Nick the Musical based on the popular festival the show aired on television network Adult Swim in March 2010. A season two episode of Popular features the character Mary Cherry saying, I went to Freaknik in Hotlanta and turned 
the mother out when grilled on her spring break activities. A season one episode of True Life followed college students during 1998's Freaknik. A season six episode of Sister Sister chronicled Tia and Tamara's trip from Michigan to Atlanta toward Freaknik with their college friends. In his mixtape, STM, I guess Stone Mountain Kawhi Childish Grant Gambino opens by saying that he had a dream that he ran Atlanta and among other things he would bring back Freaknik. On Hair Day, the 11th episode of the season 6 of the ABC series Blackish, Dre reveals to his son Jack that as a younger man he was beaten in a dance-off by someone who brought his own whistle to the party which raised the heir of his oldest son Junior who insisted Dre had told him what happens at Freaknik stays at Freaknik. Freaknik is referenced in many rap songs from the 1990s and the early 2000s. Hulu is producing a documentary called Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told. And this is what we lead back to that documentary that I am talking about. It's got so many people up in arms, like I said. And I want to see if uh, I can get some info of when it is going to release. And also, lawsuits as we speak are already being filed. Let me see what, okay, from theroot.com, I want to read this. Look, I'm, this is my first time reading this, folks. This is based on the Freaknik of 1994. Willie Stem stands on Peachtree Street downtown with a stick on his hat watching the crowds go by on foot at Freaknik, Atlanta, Georgia, April 23rd, 1994. Last week, we told you about Hulu's plan to release its forthcoming documentary centered around the highly popular, widely criticized, but more on that later, 80s, 90s festival Freaknik. While an official trailer for Freaknik, the wildest party never told has yet to be released, the streamer says the upcoming project recounts the rise and fall of small Atlanta HBCU picnic that exploded into an influential street party and spotlighted ATL as a major cultural stage. It did. I mean, that's what you went to Atlanta down there for. Then came the popular strip clubs and all that stuff down there. Now it's a shell of its former self, if you will. Can the magic of Freaknik be brought back 40 years later? Sounds straightforward and unintimidating enough, right? Well, it's unfortunately now proven to be intimidating for some who experienced Freaknik during its heyday, namely black women, because they're worried that their arguably reckless actions from back in the day will be broadcasted for the entire world to see. And if that is the case, they're also worried about what implications and consequences will look like as a result of it, because misogyny is an unfair judge. In fact, in addition to numerous tweets and even TikTok videos of some black women speaking out about their nervousness for this the upcoming doc, a handful of prominent black women professionals are even considering taking legal action against Hulu. Yeah, man. 
If Hulu is smart, they block off their faces because if they did not write, well, if they did not have written consent of them, like I said earlier, that's what they'll do. Because that's what they're going to do. They're going to sue. So if they're smart, they need to block off the face. I mean, you want to prevent legal action, right? You made, it, you made it a point and you made up your mind that you were going to release this documentary no matter what. But if you ain't prepared for the, the storm of, you know, legal action and the media scrutiny, you know, you might have to tone it down. I'm just saying. Just my two cents on that. According to News 1, three C-suite executives and one judge are reportedly planning to file a lawsuit in Atlanta's federal court on the grounds that the doc is unlawful because they didn't sign any media releases. Though no official court documents have been seen, the fact that these women are willing to go so far out of fear that the footage could potentially be so detrimental to the life they've built now all these years later is telling. Like, it, it, I mean, I don't think as a, a child of seven, eight, nine years old, you would think at 10 years later, 11 years later, 18, 19, 20, that you would be doing some of the stuff that you was doing in Freaknik. It was very encouraging and peer pressure was a mug back then. I could understand it. But then there was people who had great discipline that didn't really participate in all the raunchiness, the ratchetness of it all. They're safe. And they're, they're witnesses to it as well. They'd be lying if they said they didn't see some stuff there. But to be realistic, it's, it's, you know, it did get out of hand. The various footage and documentaries previously done about the festival, we know that it, is, it was a grand old time for the some of our older sisters, cousins, and aunties to enjoy themselves. Enjoy good music, dance, and concert with other black folks. Whether that connection came in the form of popping out at red lights, twerking on them them headlights or engaging in some other wise NSFW activities. What's interesting to note is the apprehension of over this documentary is largely one-sided. As previously stated, black women are the main ones getting up in arms over the fun and carefree days of their youth being caught in 4K because they know that society unjustly issues them harsher judgment and repercussions for appearing or even acting outside the realm of responsibility. Yeah, man. Black women will never get the time of day after this. After all this is done, it's going to be some judgmental mugs and it's be among our own people. Now, but also on the internet, People are yelling for them to do a girl gone, a girl's gone wild documentary because that was the same type of party out on beaches and stuff down in uh, uh, South Beach and the Caribbean and, and Tijuana and all that. They were doing that too. But you know what, what, what was crazy is 
they used that they 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 marketed that on TV to get you to buy and they sold a bunch of uh, tapes and stuff like that uncensored and stuff so everybody pretty much already knows about that and I'm pretty sure all the stories told about Freaknik throughout the entire world since people from Europe came to participate in it people know they just ain't got no video proof but with Girls Gone Wild the difference being is they got video proof but with girls going wild up there, you know, the same things would happen. You know, you got women that have preached the gospel to their children. They done went religious. They, you know, all that stuff. It'll be damaging to their reputations now. But we got to keep it fair. Somebody's got to release the never before seen or untold story of girls going wild too. All right, let's continue on. But what's important to note that Freaknik wasn't just attended by black women, okay? It was also attended by black men, our older brothers, cousins, and uncles who were engaged in similar behavior, but also may have also been engaged in some of the most nefarious happenings, namely rampant sexual assault and rape as well. In fact, in the week since Hulu's announcement, Twitter has been ablaze with snippets of from previous documentaries that show women and men recounting the some of the most horrific lewd underbelly of the festival. T.W. Freaknik was terror for many women, some that didn't even attend. Hope those men get exposed that harm women. This is on Twitter. Okay, they got Twitter responses. They got a whole bunch of videos on it. This is on theroot.com so you can look at this the, you know they're showing clips and snippets of videos I haven't seen any of them because I'm reading to you what's going on as this stuff is getting loaded I'm scrolling down so while some black women may be nervous for being outed for being carefree some black men ought to be a bit more nervous for possibly being outed for far more dangerous and criminal things correct black men I mean we don't, if we want to get looked at as a respectable way this right here is not gonna give you any leeway for my brothers and sisters out there it's, somebody was bound to do a documentary about this and, and other festivals like this but to be clear this isn't an attack on black men as some online have purported it to be to show the ugly truths about a portion of people in our community shouldn't be perceived as part of the some hidden agenda. It should be perceived as a call to action for accountability and serious conversations about consent and sexual violence. It also shouldn't be taken as an opportunity to engage in what aboutism with regards to white people and the things they've seemingly gotten away with. And yes, I'm talking about all the you. Where's the documentary on girl, Girls Gone Wild? I just said that, folks. Literally, go up, go look it up. It's all there. I mean, like I said, they were promoting it like crazy on TV back 20, 25 years ago. But I don't think they they showed you the real stuff. That's what I'm saying. In, in, in those videos, they didn't show you all the real stuff. They showed you all the stuff you wanted to see for all the horny little boys out there. But they didn't show you the stuff that you needed to see. The stuff that would disgust you if you had any kind of decency in your body. That's the general fear here with this documentary. 
However, the negative stories of the festival seem to hold little weight with people, especially seeing as how an attempt to bring Freaknik back just happened as recently as 2019. As previously reported, The Root, thanks to Luther Campbell, Uncle Luke, and rapper Strina and Juvenile, the festival was revived to a degree with many R&B and hip-hop artists coming down to perform as well as participate in community service projects. This was deemed beneficial to both people who still hold the festival in high regard and the city of Atlanta, Atlanta as far as revenue is concerned. Yeah, they don't mind making all that moolah, you know, but they, they're concerned of public scrutiny. Uh, they built this reputation of being this party stripper town and you know, they want to change that, but it's it's actually known for something else. I will not mention, but it's known for something else now. And I think I would rather take it back to the days than it, what it is known for it now. For what is known now, I mean, you know, that's just what I would prefer, but that's neither here nor there. It's not my thing to fix. But I bet you if you ask some people, would you rather f to have the old Atlanta back or are you satisfied with what the new Atlanta is doing? Then some people would say, yeah, I think I would like the 1990s Atlanta back. And then there's some people who prefer it as it is now because it, it, it has changed. All in all, what should be noted is that we really have no clue what this new Hulu documentary will show. But what we can hope for is that it shows the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of a once-beloved festival that brings back memories to so many people for so many different reasons. Our people, our community is owed that much. That's a great conclusion, man. That's a great conclusion. But I wonder, also, if this documentary is successful with viewership and all that, and they make the money they can in the aftermath what is next is it the girls gone wild like we already covered or are they going to cover Greek Fest because I'm going to tell you Greek Fest was crazy um, for those of you who are from the same area I'm from I'm from the seven cities in Virginia Norfolk, Virginia Beach Newport News, Portsmouth, all that we had a festival down here called Greek Fest and that was crazy also, they had Greek Fest up in New York, up in, um, was it was it in Long Island or uh, was it in Harlem or somewhere like that? But they had uh, Greek Fest up there too. But I know Greek Fest here was a lot like Freaknik. I, I don't, I, I don't think it was as big as Freaknik, but it was, it was pretty, it was pretty close. And their Greek Fest up there in New York was pretty close, I think. And there's some stories to tell there and is anybody going to be doing a documentary with that I don't want to give anybody ideas but I know that somebody's saying well if they can make a documentary about Freaknik we can do one on Greek Fest Girls Gone Wild or, 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 or stuff that happened in Hawaii and, and, and the Caribbean and stuff it's going to be a whole slew of them man me you know, come one, come all. One is successful, the other people be like, I can make some money off of that too. Let me sign a deal with Hulu or Apple TV or whoever. Now I wanna I wanna uh look at one more thing. 
And somebody's already filed a lawsuit yesterday. I mean, this is crazy. This is coming from hotnewhiphop.com. Lawsuit filed to block Hulu's Freaknik documentary. Freaknik was an Atlanta stable. We know all that. We covered all that. But I want to get to the juicy story here. I mean, they already got pictures of somebody twerking on top of a car or something like that or a table. Okay, a group of five prominent black women, including a politician, three high-level business professionals, and a judge have reportedly sued Hulu to block the release of the documentary. The plaintiffs argue that the release of the documentary would be damaging to their image. They allege that they appear in archival footage of the 1994 iteration of Freaknik. The 1994 festival, which is the focal point of the documentary, is particularly iconic. Furthermore, the footage would be detrimental to their current endeavors. One of the plaintiffs claims it would show her in an unflattering light. Furthermore, she claims she has already had to take steps to shield her children from the other archival footage. At this time, none of the plaintiffs have been publicly named the women and other women who have spoken about their potential appearance in the 2024 film have since been dubbed the freak nick aunties <laughs> oh man there was one that came out on uh tiktok or instagram or something telling her story and there was a picture of her younger self right beside her telling it and she was like, I ain't do none of this and that stuff. And somebody said, this was you back in the day. And they posted the, the, the picture right beside her. And I said, hey, yeah, that, that, that looks very telling. However, does their case stand a chance? The short answer is possibly their case will revolve around consent regarding the footage used. Despite the valid argument, it's hard to say how a judge will rule if the this goes through the legal system. But for now, Hulu has been handed an extra hurdle on their next big documentary. However, Hulu is yet to publicly respond to the lawsuit or the allegations made by the plaintiffs. Yep. And somebody in, in the comments on this said, what you did when you were younger is coming to haunt you? Is it coming back to haunt you? I mean, if it was nothing criminal, if it wasn't considered criminal, I don't think it would, would haunt you. But if you out here preaching, you know, the gospel and like you've been perfect in every way throughout your whole life, it, it that is damaging because if you preach the gospel to your kids about stuff like this you need to tell them I was involved in activities like this you don't even have to go into great detail until they get older but you need to tell them I know from experience 
If you tell them you know from experience, they'll pretty much put two and two together and be like, really? So you was doing this and that? And you can say, yeah, but I won't go into detail until probably when you're a little older so it can come more clear to you. But if you preaching the gospel like you are little Miss Perfect or Mr. Perfect, it ain't going to work. It's going to come back into the light. It's going to come back into the light. I'm telling you. I mean, what do y'all think? I'm going to leave it at this, boss. You know? I just want to know y'all's thoughts on it. I mean, like I said, uh, the aftermath of this thing is is going to be crazy. I'm very interested in seeing whenever they release this documentary, it's noted that it's probably going to come out next year and not anytime this year because I read it was going to be released sometime in 2024. I suspect that it will be released around spring break which is this time next year because spring break is anywhere from early april to late april and that is when freaknik usually took place and it would be the 30th anniversary of the particular freaknik that they're covering which is freaknik 1994 again so yeah i think uh people got a whole nother year of worrying about this thing if it don't come out uh, next year, then I've been misinformed and so is that article. But if it does come out next year, it'll be on the 30th anniversary of when Freaknik first came about. Oh, no, the, the, the 40th anniversary. This year is the 40th anniversary when it was official. But the 30th anniversary of that particular Freaknik, like I said. But if it does come out uh, next year, let's just say so. Uh, people are going to have a lot of wrinkles and gray hairs on their forehead. The people that participated in the 1994, 1993, 1995, 96, any other, you're safe. You're safe for the time being, unless they decide to do another year. Then after that, it's like, oh, 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 dang. But I don't think they're going to run that risk because they're, they're getting sued crazy. Already, and this thing ain't even came out. When news of this came out, they were up in arms. And I mean, I don't know what else uh, to tell anybody, but you know, let's hold our horses. Um, I hope Hulu doesn't do the stupid thing and show everybody's uh, activity who, who participated in this thing. And you know, knowing they could get sued, they, they need to block out their faces at least. If not all the other stuff, but at least block out their faces. Looking at it from both sides. One side got to pray that people don't judge them for who they are, especially black women. They're, they're very paranoid right now. And, you know, they don't want to be perceived as, you know, ratchet or anything like that. On the other side, you know. Hulu is looking to make a dollar, but at the same time, but what expense is that dollar going to be worth it? Because you got to spend it, you know, on legal fees and stuff. You know, they got to They got decisions to make, man. It'll be very interesting over the next year if it comes out next year. 
if it comes out anytime soon, it'll be interesting to see. But the aftermath of it is going to be the most interesting, most fascinating part of this whole thing. I mean, what are your thoughts? I know many of you, when you see the title of this, uh, <laughs> when you see the title of this, it's going to be real interested in hearing them what about about what I say because a thing like the name like Freaknik sells it sells because and it brings back memories you know it, you reflect on the stories that you've heard you know <laughs> we in for a ride folks and I'm glad I covered this topic but I, I think we're in for a hell of a ride until the next one all right that concludes our edition of the Mad Nucleus Podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. Until next time, again, I'm on what is now called Spotify for podcasters, which used to be called Anchor, Spotify the regular, Apple, Google, and I can't think of the other four or five platforms, but some of y'all have it. You know, get at me there, listen to me there. Again, thank you all for listening. Until next time, I'm out. Peace.